Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the Once Upon a Fan podcast. I am your host, Zach Van Norman, and I am joined by my regular co-hosts, Amy Hood and Ashley Benson. Hello, Amy, darling. Hello, darling. How are you? Doing good. Doing very good. Um, Yeah, pretty uneventful week, I must say, just preparing for the fact that Thanksgiving is next week, which seems kind of insane, but yeah. Yes. This year's gone really fast, the whole year. I just, I can't even believe yeah. it's already Thanksgiving. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, very nice to have you back with us, by the way. We missed you last week. I um, missed you guys, too. And then also, of course, want to say hello to Ashley, who I was enjoying some warm tropical weather in Chicago. Ha, ha. Hello, guys. No, it's quite the opposite <laughs> of uh, both tropical or warm. It's it's Snow Queen-esque out here. It's just mean and bitter and cold. <laughs> so you're not wearing a hula skirt and coconuts today? Is that what we're saying? No, I'm actually wearing a real coat. Like, I know people who know me are like, oh, she, she's, you know, you know, Nanook of the North over here. And I'm like, no, I, had, I actually had a hat on today. We'll just put it that way. That's like an achievement for me. Oh. Yeah, the, the, the Arctic chill continues to work its way across the country, courtesy of the Snow Queen and her snow globes, no doubt. So, uh, yeah, we have a lot to talk about in this podcast. It is, of course, a special two-hour podcast because we had a two-hour episode um, on Sunday. So we want to make sure that we have enough time to talk about everything. We'll also have our reflection segment, just to let you everybody know in advance that we're going to be talking about accepting the good and bad parts of yourself. So that's going to be our topic for today. Um, so let's dive on into this with our news bulletins, and then we shall uh, we shall get into the discussion of the episode. So um, the People's Choice Awards are still going on, uh, obviously with the nominations. And just to remind everybody of who we have up for what, we've got Jennifer Goodwin and Jennifer Morrison both up for favorite sci-fi or fantasy actress. Um, Ginny is also part of another nomination. She and Josh Dallas, her charming hubby, are nominated for favorite TV duo. Meanwhile, Neil Cassidy, played by the very missed Michael Raymond James, is um, up for favorite TV character that we miss the most. Uh, And Once Upon a Time itself is up for two different nominations, one for favorite TV show and one for favorite network sci-fi or fantasy TV show. You can go to peopleschoice.com to vote, and you can vote up to the day of the awards, which is January 7th. The awards will be airing at 9 p.m. on CBS, so make sure that uh, you know you get on there and you get voting, so we can, as you know, as we've been saying before, get some representation for our show and our actors going on, because we definitely want to see that happen. Um, we can probably keep voting on that as the week goes out. And speaking of the week. Amy has some news for us about next week's uh, podcast. Uh, This week was almost like a cruel joke because we got the two-hour episode, which was fantastic, but because of that, well, not because of that, but we got two hours this week. Next week, we're not getting anything. We're going to be once-less next week. So for those of you who have not seen the Once Upon a Time Sunday schedule, there is no Once Upon a Time next Sunday Um, there's something else that's going to be airing, so it'll be back the week after. And consequently, we're also not podcasting that Tuesday. We're going to take a break as well. So 
we will sadly not have Once Upon a Time next week, but we'll definitely be back. The Once Upon a Fan, we're not broadcasting. It's the 25th, but we'll be back on the 2nd of December. And it's the American Music Awards, actually. That's what took it over. It took it over last year, too, for one Sunday, but we had, like, several weeks where we had to go without once, whereas this time it's just one week. So I guess we'll we'll find a way to muddle through. <laughs> Not too bad, which, um, you know, of course, obviously they're probably looking for a uh, – probably going to get some good ratings for the, uh, for the Amer- American Music Awards next week. Mm-hmm. And speaking of ratings, Ashley has some news for us in that regard. I do. Our ratings remain pretty good for once. Um, and actually, I think the most interesting interesting thing about the ratings is is that they are up 13% over last year. Which I mean, that's a to me that's an impressive number considering uh, how much stronger season three was over season two. So the show mm-hmm. just keeps getting more appreciated. And I mean, I love seeing those numbers. What do you guys think? I was glad. I saw. I actually saw that number today. Um, Adam tweeted about it being up thirteen percent. Mm-hmm. I was excited because I know people, even still with the good numbers, we still see people. I know you guys see it too on Facebook or on social media where they're freaking out, wondering, you know, what the ratings mean and are they good? Are those numbers bad? Because if you don't know a lot about it, then you know sometimes it's hard to tell. Just when they tell you, oh, it did a two point seven, well. What does that mean? And then, I mean, now, you know, we can see it's doing considerably better than last year, and it's you know, it's a strong show for ABC. So I think mm-hmm. we're going to be around for a while. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, I'm happy to see that as well. Um, as we have discussed on the podcast, there has been um, a lot of discussion with people who, have, you know, say that they are not really watching the show as much because they're kind of frozen out, if you will. But uh, mm-hmm. the ratings kind of that that's not really having an effect on the viewership of the show overall. And I'm really happy that there are so many people who are tuning in to this season and sticking with the show because, you know, all, you know, you can nitpick a couple of things of the season, I suppose, but all in all, I feel that this has been a really good storyline with the Snow Queen. I don't feel that Frozen has actually overtaken anything for as much. Um so yeah, I'm I'm happy people are sticking with it because I think it's a really good storyline and uh hopefully and I don't know for sure if this would ever be the case, but I am hopeful that Elizabeth Mitchell's performance as Ingrid the Snow Queen will lead to her uh sticking around the second half of the season or maybe making an appearance because to be honest, I would be really sad to see her go after this storyline wraps up. Oh, me too. She's fantastic. Loved her on Lost, loved her and everything she's done. I agree. She really knocked it out of the park this one. So, I mean, I, I don't want to think about her getting defeated. I'm like, no, Snow Queen victorious. <laughs> no gloves yeah, for I want, the win. Uh, yeah, I want her to have some kind of a, of a happy ending or a resolution or, you know, perhaps some therapy with Archie so that she can stick around. Um, particularly because the second half of the season seems to be pointing to a villainous takeover. Um, not, not only Maleficent coming, but we've also got Corella DeVille. So it would be nice to have the Snow Queen stick around. And, you know, with Maleficent being on set, we actually know that is true because Kristen Bauer Van Stratton is on set filming for once already because she tweeted out a picture of her her chair on set, which has her name on it. 
So she is back in action on the set. They are probably filming uh, Darkness on the Edge of Town right now. Um, and obviously, as they update with more uh, episode titles, then we'll kind of know what they're filming. So it's nice to know that we're already on the spring premiere as far as filming goes. Um, it's just it's kind of exciting to know that even though the hiatus is going to be going on, they're still filming and everything is still going forward on that end. And, you know, the more, and obviously during the hiatus, they'll be releasing more information as far as episode titles, um, you know, and little tidbits here and there, I'm sure. So I'm pretty stoked about that. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm excited that Maleficent is back in town and back in action and that we're getting Kristen Bauer von Stratton back on the show. So. Yes. Well, Not sad I that we wait. have to go through a hiatus before the winter no, hiatus, but at least. On that topic, I know that some people in the chat room are talking about how the hiatus is, you know, it's a sad thing. And, you know, it is going to be, you know, a little bit downer that we don't have new ones. But I'm kind of ready for the hiatus because I am ready for the new storyline that's coming. And even though we're not going to have once for a couple of months, um, mm-hmm. I think it's just a chance to, you know, just build up the excitement kind of the way that it does in the summertime. I, I always love the build up to the premieres of either the, you know, the fall premiere or the spring premiere because everybody starts to get more excited and jazzed and, you know, we get little tidbits here and there, what's going to happen in the story. So I'm pretty stoked and I can't wait to see what's going to happen when the, uh, when the villains go gallivanting around town. Oh, and speaking of gallivanting around town, um, <laughs> I believe Amy I believe Amy has something to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> you did. Well, I can't I'm believe sure. that. <laughs> I know. That was an <laughs> awesome segue. I'm sure if you guys, which I know you did, watched uh, Once Upon a Time over the weekend and have seen ABC, they have really been putting out, there were quite a few promos for Galavant on this last special two-hour episode. I remember thinking, wow, they're really kind of getting behind this and the show looks fantastic and every time I see it I get the song stuck in my head it looks like it's <laughs> going to be hilarious like even Weird Al is going to I love Weird Al I don't know if that dates me or whatever but I love him he's going to be in it I think I read that Ricky Gervais even has like a, a, a part to do in it it should be fantastic and you guys actually did you get a peek of it at San Diego Comic Con or did you just like get uh... to hear about it I think we got the most complete um, uh, promo or trailer for it at San Diego Comic-Con because these past TV spots, they just started out just being, Galavant! And then now, yeah. as we get closer to the hiatus, we get more and you know more clips, more of an idea of the humor and everything that's going on with Galavant. But at uh, San Diego, I mean, it was a good couple minutes long. It really laid everything out. and that we're going to be seeing kind of a Monty Python-esque world full of shenanigans. Mm. Indeed. And for the, um, yeah, we got, it was, it's actually about three minutes long. Um, It goes a lot more in depth into the story than what they've shown on television so far. For anybody who is interested, I just posted the link to the trailer in the chat room. So if you want to take a look at that and see exactly what we're talking about, please feel free to do so. Um, it, I will say this, Gallivant has a far more adult tone than what you may be expecting. Um, the trailer in question mentioned, they mentioned the fact that Gallivant's lady love has a touch of nymphomania, and they also oh. discussed how many times they frolic in a day. So, oh. 
Uh, it's going to have a lot more of an adult tone and a lot more adult humor. I really, I think that uh, it was hit on the head just now when I think it was Ashley when you said that it looks like a Monty Python esque show. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I I completely agree. It looks very Monty Python esque. I mean, basically the premise of the show is that Galavant's lady love is kidnapped by the king, and he goes on a mission to save her. And when he gets there. He says that, you know, the king may offer her fame and fortune, but he offers her true love, and that's what she chooses. And she says, actually, I'm going to go with the fame and fortune. And so the, the premise of the show is what happens to Galavant after his lady love turns him down for the evil king, um, which I, I have to say the premise alone is a twist on itself because most people would be expecting him to rescue her and they would live happily ever after, and in fact she puts the kibosh on that. So, you know, I'm pretty stoked. I think it's going to be really funny. I'm hopeful. Um, Just to make sure that everybody is aware, too, for the podcast schedule during the hiatus, we are going to be watching Gallivant and podcasting about it. However, instead of um, doing our episodes of the podcast every week, we're going to do it every two weeks. Um, So just be advised of that. We're not going to be doing it on the regular our podcast schedule, we're going on January 13th. We're going to watch Gallivant episodes 1 and 2. January 7th, or 27th, rather, we're going to talk about episodes 3 and 4. February 10th, we're going to be talking about episodes 5 and 6. And February 24th is for episodes 7 and 8. Of course, that is. Um, and then we return to our regular weekly podcast starting on March 3rd. Um, so you can expect to see that. All of this has already been scheduled on the podcast main page on Blog Talk Radio. So if you go to our episodes page and you go to upcoming, you'll see all of them there. They're already scheduled. They're already um, sent out. So we're already set for that. We've already scheduled the podcast through the end of the winter, well, through the end of the first half of the season of Once as well. So if you're curious on what we're going to be talking about and when, it's all on our page there. And we will be posting the schedule on our social social media pages, Facebook, Twitter, all that good stuff um, as time goes by. So you can expect that. Yay. So now that we've got, now that we're done with our, uh, with our news roundup, I am ready to talk about the two hour episode smash the mirror. Um, I can honestly say that it, that there were moments where I was holding my hands over my face or they were on the side of my head. There were moments when I was literally on the edge of the couch yelling at the television. Um, there were moments where I kind of just sat back and, you know, kind of clutched the pearls, if you will, put my hand in my throat and just was very happy about certain <laughs> scenes. Particularly wow, that's the- not what I meant you meant. <laughs> that's not what I thought you meant for a minute. <laughs> Until you said you put your hand at your throat. That was hilarious. Okay, continue. <laughs> Yeah, so um, there was plenty of uh, plenty of moments there where um, I was really kind of taken aback, particularly particularly because I can speak in uh, some scenes between um, a certain queen and a certain mayor. Uh, mm. I those we'll get to those in just a moment, but overall, I I understand why they were calling it a Once Upon a Time movie. It felt like a movie. Um, I think that they have moved certain characters into some very interesting positions now on the chessboard of what's going to happen, um, particularly our favorite town, Imp. So uh, 
Yeah, overall, I thought it was great. I think that they are really setting up their end game for this half of the season, and I can't wait to see where it goes next. Um, so now that I have shared my kind of general opinion on it, um, Ashley, I would like to start with you as far as what you thought about it. Well, I was the same. I definitely was on the edge of my seat or the edge of my couch the entire time watching. Um, I, I, I'm just gonna say it. This was. I think this is the best uh, episode they've had in the season so far. I, I thoroughly enjoyed myself the entire time. Like the comedy wasn't too overbearing. You know, you had a good couple of lines here and there. Um, the drama, like I genuinely thought I knew what was going to happen towards the end and then had that turned on its head and I was like, okay, well, so if that's not the case, then what? Um, I just, and the, there were, we did get some fantastic scenes, uh, like you said, uh, between a few characters and just some of, just some of the lines, like uh, two of my favorites are obviously, they're, they're villain lines but come from the Snow Queen and Rumble is just how these actors delivered them and just the act not just the the words themselves if they were funny if they caught my you know caught my ear but how they were said and how they fit in with the scene just I mean I still think about them it really st- stood out to me so I was just I really was wholly pleased and impressed with this episode I think this is going to be the high point of the season Agree with all of that Amy what about you I loved it, too. I felt like it really moved, you know, all of the characters. I kind of feel like all of our core characters really got, you know, some some movement. I loved the interactions between Snow and Regina, which was something I'd been waiting for for a long time. So I feel like that was really good. That may have been my, one of probably my top part of the episode, but... I loved where they're going with the characters, and I liked that I did not have everything figured out for this episode. Like when things were happening, I like, and then like you said, when something changed, it was not the way that I thought it was going to play out. So I liked that it kept me kind of guessing, and it was, you know, it was fun to watch. It was, you know, on the edge of your seat, kind of trying to figure out what's happening, but not having any idea. And then still being surprised, even though we know so much about, you know, these characters so far. So I thought it was really, really a strong episode. I totally agree. Um, And, you know, normally we do kind of a play-by-play recap where we discuss the main points. Can I kind of be doing a little bit of a combination here? Um, So, yeah, let's just get into this. So, of course, the episode starts out with, you know, there are so many pieces, and I just want to say this really quick, too. So many different pieces of the storyline that they have shown us from one episode to the next, things that have been kind of one-off or, you know, certain objects that have appeared here and there, you, I, I can tell that it's all going to converge very soon. Um, mm. The fact that in the beginning of the episode, the Snow Queen is hiding the hat box in a cave, and then she goes to see the Sorcerer's Apprentice, you know, to make a deal about things. Um, you know, I thought that was very interesting. Uh, I can tell, you know, and obviously, I mean, you know, I have a theory that said the sorcerer, is in fact the person who wrote Henry's storybook. I'm even more convinced of that now after this episode. Um, mm-hmm. 
I mean, hardcore convinced about it. Now, I, I didn't need any convincing before, but now that I've seen this, I'm just like, well, I don't know how much more obvious they could be. Um, <laughs> so I, I loved that. Um, I thought that that was very interesting. What they're doing with Snow and Regina and their relationship is interesting. The way that they're growing oh, Regina, the way, the way they're growing Regina as a character, not only by herself, but also the way that she's interacting with people like Snow White and Robin Hood, um, I think is very interesting. The way that what they've done with, with Rumple and, well, Mr. Gold, if you will. Um, I, it's also, and of course, the Swan Princess herself, Emma. Um, mm-hmm. Even what they did with, with you know with Elsa and Anna, um, you know what and what they also what they did with Snow and Charming. Even though I know it, a lot of people were, I saw some people who were not fond of the way they were carrying themselves in this episode. It even if it wasn't through their own means, they also grew. I think as characters and their realizations in this episode. Um, you know, I mean, they're they're pretty much. I mean, Hook. Um, there there's so much that happened in this episode to really kind of change the game. I really feel like this was a game changing episode, and I can't wait to see where it goes from here. Um, so yeah, the episode starts out with the Snow Queen going to, you know, meet the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Obviously, she wants to make a deal, as I said earlier, about what was about the hat, and. You know, he put down the broom and immediately pulled a sword on her. And I love the fact that the errand boy is so quick to be a fighter. Um, he kind of he showed the same kind of spunk and and you know bold behavior when we saw him in The Apprentice in episode four of the season when he confronted Zoso rather quickly, um, willing to fight for you know the safety of the hat and for obviously and with that too, not just the safety of the hat but the ideals that the sorcerer holds to be important. Um, Because he even, you know, in this episode, he repeated again that, you know, the sorcerer does not make deals, particularly with those who have succumbed to the darkness within. Um, You know, that's a, that's a very strong ideal to hold to. And I love the fact that Mm -hmm. he was still willing to that, even if by the end it was kind of undone a little bit. Um, And to be honest too, I'm really, I kind of thought this, from the get-go, especially from from episode four, but now I'm wondering about it even more. I really am wondering if the Sorcerer's Apprentice is not actually the Sorcerer himself. Does anybody else think that? Yeah. yeah they're saying I, in the chat room that there's a floating theory going on about that. Um, I think so. I think it's possible. I think so, too. I I don't know if that's how it's going to play out, but I think it is possible. He seems really quick to do what we would expect the sorcerer to do. You know, he defends the ideas. He seems to be the one who kind of made the decision when he was talking to the Snow Queen. I don't know. I just, I'm really interested in that character in general because if he is Yensid or if he is, you know, the main sorcerer, and they ha- he obviously has this history with previous Dark Ones that he talked about wanting to, you know, they've all come and tried for this hat box. So I hope we get, like, a lot more backgrounds on that. But I think it is definitely possible that he's the sorcerer. Yeah, I couldn't help but think that when, uh, you know, as I'm watching this, I thought, you know, that would be just a thing where, you know, they, they I mean, because on this show, they love to play the, they love to pull the card where one character ends up being another character in another story. 
And I would love it if for this story he ended up being one and the same. Um, mm-hmm. I I do wish that his beard was a little longer. I wish his beard was a little bit more um, Dumbledore-esque, if you will. But I'm I'm not going to nitpick about the length of a sorcerer's beard for crying out loud. But I just it was just as a <laughs> visually for me, visually for me, I was just like, oh, I wish his beard was a little bit longer. But I'm totally fine with that. Um, I am thoroughly convinced. I mean, I really do think that he is going to end up being the sorcerer, or if not, like the fact that you know the sorcerer seems to. I mean, obviously, so okay. So let's just make this our first talking point, okay? So we're going to jump ahead a little bit in the episode to when he reappeared, but that's okay. Because the first time that we see him, that's what's going on. And then when we see him next, it's when he's appearing at the end of the episode to agree to the deal with the Snow Queen that he's going to send her somewhere where, you know, she can basically wait it out for her perfect third sister to arrive. And the fact that the sorcerer knew that it would be a long time, that it would be, you know, roughly about 28 years or so, for for this person to emerge be, and the fact that she would be named Emma and he's the one who handed her the scroll with that information, you know, the sorcerer clearly knows everything that's happening past, present, and future. Um, right. Or else he wouldn't have been mm-hmm. able to do that. And it's that it's that fact that also leads me to think that he is the author of the storybook, especially with what happened with the storybook in this episode and Regina and Robin Hood. Um, mm. the fact that the past was kind of rewriting itself in front of them I really thought that was so interesting and I don't, it's kind of hard to figure out how to talk about this episode because one topic kind of jumps into another but it also jumps time-wise in the episode but um, I, so let's, I'll stick with the Snow Queen and the, Apprentice, and the Apprentice for now the fact that the Snow Queen ended up in um, 1980s Manhattan with a Tron poster outside Amy, I love that clip. I was like, ooh, ooh. Yeah, I mean, I mean, actually, I know that you like the movie, but Amy and I, Tron holds a very special place in both of our hearts. And I know, I'm sure it does for you too, but Amy, I know that when you saw that, you probably were just loving it. I slipped away. Yeah, my husband and I were sitting together watching it, and we both yelled. We were like, Tron! Like, the second it came on the screen. So, yeah, I like how she popped in, you know, wherever she was, whether it was, you know, Manhattan, wherever she went. And she, nobody blinks an eye at the fact that she is in this gorgeous, you know, Snow Queen, Frosty Globes dress. It's like, you know, she's just, you know, going to the club. Hey, here I am. 1982. Everybody's dressing like Madonna. No biggie. Loved it. <laughs> I have a question yeah, for you guys, like really quick. Um, <laughs> so she, it, she came to whatever city that was, 1982, right? Didn't mm-hmm. the events of the flashback episode from what was that season two? Didn't they happen in 1983? It was either so, 83 or 84 because that bench in store, the Tron bench that was in Storybrook. I, <laughs> I'll have to find a picture of it. I can't remember if it said 83 or 84. I think it's well, at 83. I think, I think yeah. Ashley's right. So mm-hmm. what did she do for that year is my question before she found Storybrooke. She went apparently she found her way into the, <laughs> apparently she found her way into getting a job in the foster system. Oh. That's true. And she had to wait. She, I mean, not only did she have to wait. I mean, well, yeah, basically she did. She had to wait 
the you know for Emma to be born. Well, here's the thing. Okay, like here's the thing about that. I'm trying to figure out exactly how long she was in our world before Emma showed up because not only did she have to wait the you know nine months for Emma to finish cooking, but she also had to wait through the period of time. I can't believe I just said that, but she also had to wait through the period of time where, you know, Snow and Charming and everybody were battling Regina to begin with. And we, and we really don't know how long of a period of time that is either, by the way. But, yeah. The timeline is so, so confusing. I don't know if sometimes it confuses anybody else, but that was one of the things I had to sit and think about after this episode. I was like, okay, so did she travel in time when she went to our world, or did she just go to our world, or – is Snow pregnant and the curse is about to come in a few months so she didn't have to wait too long. I mean, I was that was one of the things that I was asking myself afterwards. Same thing with me, and that's why I brought it up because I was thinking, well, I just I find it interesting that how would she – I just want to know how the Snow Queen adapted so well to our world that she got a job in the foster system. But the thing, like – that really sticks with me is how did she find Storybrooke? This is a town that's, you know, Mm. hidden. It never has any outsiders. If she arrived a year before its inception, how did she weasel her way in? Hmm. Good question. That's the thing that sticks with me. Hmm. Yeah, we have to one. get some background. I want some background. I was I I tweeted it out actually on Sunday. I said, "Can we please just get a spin-off with, you know, with Rumple and the Snow Queen? Like, you know, Once Upon an Ice Imp or something. Like, <laughs> can we Yes. Like, can we just have that or, you know, Once Upon some Snow Globes, something. Um <laughs> Any I mean something <laughs> would be really I, I, I'm really, yeah, I want more, I just, and see, this is the reason why I don't want the Snow Queen to disappear when the season, when this half of the season is over, because it would, we would get more background with her, and honestly, she's, even if what she's doing in the episode isn't necessarily, you know, the the smartest, I mean, there's a couple of times when she's been, you know, monologuing, to use a word from Syndrome from The Incredibles, she's been monologuing, <laughs> At the same time, though, it's what it is, it's Elizabeth Mitchell's performance that makes her such an interesting, intriguing character. That's yes. what really she's is so for subtle. She, like, oh, she doesn't freak out. She's just like, she just delivers the line. You're not bothering her. She's so, like, no pun intended, she's so chill. She's like, you're not bothering me at all. I could probably beat you and decorate my house with your bones. <laughs> Here, I, I was going to mention that line. Oh, my God. That okay, that really line is... <laughs> it's, the fa- it's my favorite thing. See, this is where That's my, one of my favorite lines from the episode. And it's like I said, it's not so much the line itself, even though it's incredibly clever and I enjoy it. It's... Did you, like, upon rewatching uh, for my review, did you, like, look at her face when she says it? She's practically snarling in his face like you know you know when you really just want to strangle somebody and you have to like 
physically, you know, like Hold keep herself in check. Mm. She does. Like if you look at her hand, she's so close, just ripping his face off, and she, she's like, nope, nope, got to keep it under control. And that right there, like that, made that line for me. Oh, I love it. Mm. Yeah, she so. she really is. Yeah, she's. I just like I can feel so bad for her. And you know what's funny is like. She hasn't done or said anything. I mean, she's acted, you know, Bag of Cats crazy before. We've seen that. But <laughs> when she said, you know, I can defeat you and decorate my cave with your bones, I was like, whoa, like Snow mm. Queen has some I didn't see that coming. Like, so far she just seemed like she was the kind of person who just, you know, she just wanted to get her family together. On occasion, she'll make a hansicle or whatever needs to happen. But, you know, otherwise she doesn't seem like she's really – that like violent, but then she turns around and tells Rumpel that she'll just decorate her cave with his bones. And I was like, well, okay, you're just mm-hmm. a little, you're a little nuts though, aren't you? Like we already, you're a lot of nuts. <laughs> you're, you're kind of like lots of crazy there. Like, yeah. Like, Oh, she a little was bit so nuts. crazy in this episode. She was when she was like caressing the ribbon. I was like, "Oh my, my sweet summer child, what are you doing?" OCD. Yeah. Just a little bit. You're you're a little bit nuts there, Ingrid, and I love you for it, babe. Because um, the thing is, like, she's she's crazy in a way that Regina and Rumple and Pan and Hook and you know Cora. And the wicked witch. Zelina. She's crazy in a way that they weren't because they were coming. Their crazy was coming from a place of under. You you could understand it. Rumpel wasn't so much crazy as he was calculating and just evil. Regina's, mm. you know, her, her crazy we knew where that came from. First we saw it with you know the way that her mother was, which hello, and then we also mm-hmm. saw, you know, like what happened with Daniel. So you kind of understood what was happening with that with her with her bit of crazy. With Peter Pan, you, I mean, you understood his level of crazy and evilness because, you know, when we finally saw the fact that he decided to stay a teenager forever um, and why, you know, even even though that's not necessarily the right thing to do, to do excuse me, that does happen, you know, where some people uh-huh. just can't, like, and honestly, too, like, part of me wonders, like, even though Rumple ended up the way that he did, before he became the Dark One, Rumple wasn't, he didn't seem to be at least that bad of a man. And it really, and I've wondered at times mm-hmm. what kind of person would Rumpelstiltskin have been if his father had actually raised him. Um, you know what I mean? Like, I, I really yeah. wonder, like, if he ended up being not so great of a guy. Zelina, you know, even though she was a little bit more campy with her crazy, um, and she was a little bit more in your face about it, you know, if I had been walking around for a good chunk of my life with green skin and finding out that the people I thought were my parents were not actually my parents and that my dad was just kind of psycho and a drunk and and all this other Mm -hmm. stuff, like, her jealousy issue, her envy, green with envy, is, you know, that was understandable. The Snow Queen... She's crazy. I mean, not that she doesn't have reason to be. She killed her sister. Okay, we know that. Mm-hmm. But she's 
she's crazy on a different level. Like she's like like disturbed in the head, crazy. Like none of the other ones really that disturbed. She is disturbed. She has oh, yeah, problems. She's, she's unhinged, and it. I think what it was is it, literally her world crumbled around her. Her sister crumbled in her hands, and then into the urn she goes for. Well, how old would you say uh, Elsa and Anna are? You want to just like what? What are they? Was she nineteen in the uh, in the movie? Um, Well, Elsa came of age, so I'd say that she's, like, what, 18, and Anna is maybe, like, 16 or 17 then, maybe? Right. So you want to, like, just, like, to to round up, say, maybe, like, 18 years. So she's she's trapped in with her own thoughts for 18 years and has just been traumatized. Like, literally, her greatest fear has just occurred before her eyes. She's going to go cuckoo with a coconut. Definitely. Well, yeah, and she gets put in the, you know, the urn right after that happens. So mm-hmm, I'm mm-hmm. sure, yeah, she she's stuck in there, like you said, with her thoughts. That's pretty much probably all she obsessed about and processed in her head for, you know, the next 20 years until somebody let her out of the urn. And is there some magic trick to letting somebody out of the urn? Because I kept watching and I was thinking if, Hans was able to open it up and let the Snow Queen out. Why didn't Anna just twist the top off and let Elsa right back out in this episode? <laughs> Is there, I think she's like, in shock. I think, honestly, I think so Anna was just like, well, because right after that, the Snow Queen got in her face, and she's like, it was your fault, and X, Y, Z. And and Anna had said earlier in the episode how scary and creepy and whatever mm. and scary the Snow Queen is. So imagine that crazy, and you, you think she's scary, and she's right up in your grill with that fabulous dress. Like, I would not be thinking about <laughs> any urns. I would be, like, terror. Here you go. <laughs> well, I'm thinking to myself, how can I stay alive in this situation? Mm. How can she not mortalize me? me? <laughs> yeah. How can I not get frozen? Exactly. Because she already knew that, you know, she could do it because she ran into the Hansicle in the wardrobe. So... Um, that is, you know who keeps bodies um, around for souvenirs? Serial killers do. That creeped me out that she kind of just like stuck him in the closet for later. I that just was weird to me. Well, you know, yeah. well, see, the thing that we didn't see on the floor at the wardrobe next to the Hansicle and the urn was um, a container of fava beans and a nice Chianti. So, yep, yep. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. So, so, you know, that, I mean, but you're right, though. Like, serial killers do keep, you know, parts of their victims around as, like, trophies. And that's exactly what Ingrid did. Like, and you know what's so funny? Like, she didn't seem to be that crazy before she went in the urn. Like, what, wherever her crazy came from, I mean, it's all self-imposed. Because she right. was not so not before she went in there. She really, I mean, she just wasn't. So, I don't Ooh, know, Do you man. think like, she kept the frozen, like, do you think she kept the frozen people around? Because in her mind, even though they were frozen, then she wasn't technically alone. You're doing I a mean, walking dead creepy. thing. You're... That's creepy, but, <laughs> but you know, yeah, it's kind of frozen there. Um... <laughs> But maybe, maybe she did. Maybe she kept on. Because here's the thing. She went to the urn um, while she was in the garden and chilling, and I assume that 
the East Wing was up and running in the house. It hadn't been shut down yet. So she mm. must have gone back to the East Wing after she came back out of the urn um, and occupied it. You know, where that's wherever she keeps disappearing to whenever she, like, reappears in the doorway like a creeper. Um, <laughs> so maybe she does keep hands around because she thinks, like, she could talk to him and she just needs somebody to talk to. And I think that's interesting, though, too, because the mirror obviously wasn't smashed. I mean, we know why she had a piece of the mirror, but I think it's very interesting that she's, you know, she smashed the mirror and then later on, and like the title, huh? And then later on, uh, talked about how she viewed herself in the mirror and she, it was really just all loathing is what, and just was unhappy with what she saw there. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, you have Elsa kind of worrying in that scene. I'm jumping all over the place, I know. But you have Elsa worrying in that scene in the East Wing when her and Anna are snooping, and you have Elsa's reflection in the shattered mirror. And I'm, I just that makes me wonder if that's how the Snow Queen saw herself as this broken, fractured thing. Mm-hmm. Ew, what if the inside of the urn is all mirrored? How oh, my God, that would be creepy. Oh, I like be, that. I like mm. that too. I actually really want to see inside. I want to see inside the urn, and I want to see inside the hat. Yeah, yeah. I want. Yeah, I think that we will eventually see inside the hat because I think that visually it's too interesting of an idea for them not to explore. I would certainly explore it if I were writing. Yes, and we got to see inside Jefferson's hat, which is still one of my favorite visuals to date from the entire show. I love that vision of all those doors. So, yeah, I think I would love to see inside the hat. And I wonder, like, if everybody who has ever been sucked in the hat is just, like, chilling there in one great, like, great hall, or if they each have their own individual, like, captivity within the hat. So Mm. there's just so much possibility because you don't know who else could be in the hat. Like, Rumpel talks about having, uh, you know, he's going to have – and if I'm jumping too far ahead, I can cut myself off. But Rumple talks about having Hook uh, help him power up the hat. So I think that you know they might have to do uh, a nun count later on in the week if uh, if fairies start disappearing to uh, juice up that hat. So, oh yeah. And then mm-hmm. and then in the same way, I wonder what it is about the hat when you're inside it that prevents you if you're aware, which I'm assuming you're aware. It what prevents you from escaping. Mm. Yeah, because you would think yeah. if they were all together, they'd combine their power and just blast the hell out of there. Well, but the mm-hmm. thing is, the hat takes their power, which it does, and that means that they're in there without any magic. They're just stuck inside of a hat, and the and the um. the magic is gets imbibed into the hat. It's not in the people anymore. So oh, you're right. Mm. You and your logic. So yeah, so that's that's what's going on there. That's that's what's happening with with that part of it. Um, but, but as far as the hat goes, though, like I wonder sometimes, like is Merlin in there? Like is Merlin in the I hat? I hope so. I God, I hope so too. I I I wonder. I've been wanting to see Merlin on this show pretty much from the very beginning. Um, and I would love to see him in there. Like, ever since Granny said that she got Red's cloak from an old wizard, I've always wondered, okay, is she talking about Rumpelstiltskin? And it seems like that's the case because in um, in season two, 
when she's so like when she's serving the the hamburgers to him and Belle, she says she charges mm-hmm. extra for the pickle. There is definitely yeah. you know she she resents him for something. And as soon as that happened, I thought to myself, even then, you know what? I bet that she got the cloak from Rumpelstiltskin, and he told her something to the effect of, "Yes, it will stop her from changing into a wolf." But he didn't tell her the caveat, which is that it would only work, you know, as long as she had it on. You know what I mean? Like, I bet that he, mm-hmm. and that's why she had so much resentment towards him. That, I have always thought that ever since that episode. So, um, oh. I, 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 I love that story. I would love to see all the backstory. Anytime they throw backstory in, it always ends up, like, bringing so much more to the characters. There's so many that I want to see more backstory on. And that's one of the things is the whole interaction between Granny and getting that cloak. Mm -hmm. I agree. I just want to see young Granny, more Granny, all the Granny. Go, Granny, go. (laughs) Um, Why am I not surprised about that? Um, Oh, but yeah, um, I I I can't wait for it. God, the the whole I'm telling you, the story is about to converge in a huge way, um, especially with the hat. Okay, so let's let's talk about. Okay, so we talked about the Snow Queen, and we talked about, you know, the hat and the apprentice. We're kind of on the hat now, so let's let's discuss the main point of what happened with this hat of ours, um, specifically with the hat and the savior. Okay. Uh, the uh, heart attack special that was there at the end of the uh, episode, because I don't know about you, but yeah. I was, like, shouting at my TV at that point, like, don't you go in there. Yes, that's exactly what I was doing. That was one of the moments when I was talking to my television, um, actually yelling at the television, because I I was actively saying, don't do it. Like, don't, like and my, if you look at my Twitter feed, you can see that, too. I was saying, do not go in, like, do not open that door. Do not mm-hmm. open the door. Like, I just want to be like, stay away from the light, Carol Ann. Like, don't open that door. Like, we do not have Zelda Rubenstein here to save you. There is no small little psychic woman who's going to be able to save you. There is only an imp and your now heartless boyfriend, the Captain Guyliner. So do not open that door. Don't do it. Like, I love you, Emma. Don't do this. I swear to God. And then she kept, um, she kept turning around, and it was just like, ah, oh, stop, please. Yeah, uh, I was like, please, even Regina please. thought it was a bad idea. I mean, come on. <laughs> oh no, we wait. That not yet. We can't. We cannot get to that yet because that that's part of the Regina Snow discussion with the Charmings, and that's a topic that I really want to make sure that we hit on hard. So yeah, um, but yeah, so the whole thing. So let's discuss the build up to the hat. Okay, so first of all, Emma is you know she's freaking out. She's in her car in the woods, sleeping by herself. Everything is going haywire when she wakes up. Her radio isn't working. She's got sparks flying out of her hands. The magic on her hands, by the way, was red. Hashtag just saying. So um, so there was that whole point, too. And then Henry shows up, and he's trying to make it better. And if anybody could make it better, it would be Henry. But, of course, things didn't go at all the way that we thought they would because she blasted him back with magic, um, which was honestly very uh, – I even though we'd seen it in the promo and I kind of knew that was what was going to happen, I was really surprised by that. Um, the fact that she was so out of control that even Henry could not help her. Um, it was really, really sad to me too, to be honest. Um, because I know how much he loves his mother. I know how much she loves him. They've been through so much together. Um, 
it was really sad and I was I was surprised that her magic had had taken such a point that it was that out of control. I I was really I was I was taken aback as far as Henry was um by her uh by her use of magic in that scene. And what I liked was the fact that even though she had hurt him, he got up and still reached out a hand to her to try and help her. Yeah. Like he still yeah. he still help his mother. I thought that is so I mean it's not really that surprising cuz it's so Henry but um I I just like the fact that you know Henry is basically he is Anna to Emma's Elsa if you will. So oh, he um, is. Aww. See, so I really I really thought that was so such a good thing for him to do and it really did surprise me that she that he just wasn't able to to reach her. I mean, he literally, like, and figuratively, he wasn't able to reach her in any way. Um, mm-hmm. I, thought, well, I thought that was just really sad. And what I was going to say is this, um, I think this, that seemed, I understand more now that I think about it, of why it was the thing that really spurred Emma into being as desperate as she was to seek a magical cure from gold to basically make a deal. Well, she didn't really make a deal, but to to seek out gold. Because if you think about it, that's the first time that Emma's magic has directly hurt someone. Like with Charming, the magic hit the lamppost, or the magic shook things up and it hit the lamppost, and that's with him. But it was just Henry and Emma and the magical sparks, and that's what really, that's what injured him. And that's a mother's, you know, worst fear is to, to hurt your yeah. child. Yes, definitely. I mean, Amy, of the three of us, you're the one who has kids. Speak on that, will you, babe? I just, I I thought from the promo that based on, like, what you said about Henry, thinking Henry would be the one that would be able to get to her, that I, what I thought was going to happen was that after that happened, I thought that Henry would be able to calm her down and he would be the one to help her. But that definitely, I can understand, I think, more that the way that, because at first from the promos, I was like, well, I mean, you really aren't going to just send your kid away. He's going to help you calm down. But she actually hurt him. So I can see her just panicking in her head, thinking, I have to make sure this never happens again. You know, thinking that, you know, there's the only way to be sure is to make sure I just don't even have this magic. So I think in that moment, she was absolutely, you know, completely freaked out, which rightly, and so the only thing she could think to do was to go to goal. I mean, she didn't even go to Regina for, you know, help controlling it. She, her first thought was, I just have to get rid of it. I can't have this happen again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what it made me think of, and, I'm, and I'm, I may be dating myself a little bit here, and I don't even know how many people are, would, are even going to be aware of this reference, but it made me think of the show Roseanne, because mm-hmm. there is an episode mm-hmm. of that show where Roseanne, like DJ, her son, he steals their car, and she reacts very violently towards him. Like, she starts, you know, basically, I mean, it's really just a spanking. She doesn't beat him or anything, but it's just a spanking. But she really hits her kid, and after it's done, she kind of goes into this depression, almost, where she doesn't mm-hmm. want to talk to her husband. She doesn't want to see her kids. She doesn't want to talk to her sister, Jackie. She doesn't want to talk to anybody because she's realizing that the abuse that she suffered as a child 
at the hands of her own father is now affecting her as an adult and affecting her family in such a way. Yeah. And um, do either one of you know what episode I'm talking about? Yeah, I, I never watched Roseanne, do. so I didn't watch Roseanne, so I'm 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 in I'm I'm the baby here though too, but so I don't know uh, I I don't know what you're talking about, unfortunately. Yeah, it, it's. A I really remember powerful, that episode. Yeah, it was it was a really powerful episode, um, and it, because it showed a more vulnerable side of Roseanne, and it was a side that we had never really seen before, and that's what we were seeing with Emma. Emma had never been in a situation where she would be the one to hurt Henry. It it just Mm -hmm. wasn't, it was something, I don't think that, I mean, even though it was accidental, it was not like she was intentionally trying to hurt him. That's not something I think any of us would ever have seen coming, like in in the previous season. It's just not, it's just, so it was really, I mean, seeing that side of Emma and Amy, like you said, that panic, that internal you know, I mean, I can only imagine what this character must have been going through internally to think, oh, my God, I just hurt my son. Yeah, like, look son what I, I did. This was me. Yeah. Anything. I love him, and look what I've just done to him. Like, I've hurt him. I mean, it's it's kind of the same thing. Like, and, you know, it, it yeah, like, I just thought that was really, really powerful. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, what she did was powerful. Her reaction was powerful. Henry getting away was powerful, too. It's really sad. And then, of course, after Henry runs away, the Snow Queen shows up and tells Emma that this will only end with her embracing who she really is. And, you know, the, I'm fine. sure that must, have, that must have been a huge thing for Emma to hear because at that point, you know, she's thinking to herself, oh, my God, I just hurt my kid. What am I becoming? I'm, I'm becoming a monster, if you will. Mm-hmm. And the Snow Queen shows up and she's like, you have to accept who you really are. I mean, and even though Emma didn't buy into it, for her to choose that moment when Emma has just hurt her child was, I mean, it just shows again that this woman is just twisted because, you know, she's she's playing on Emma's fear of the fact that she hurt Henry. She's playing on it actively and trying to use that, I mean, almost as though like a way of getting her to bend to her own will. To the Snow Queen's mm-hmm. will, then, like, mm-hmm. it's just so. Oh, she's so evil. What so I noticed evil. about the Snow Queen is that yeah, you know, she's evil in a is such a deliciously satisfying way. Because here's the thing: she didn't lie to Emma when she said that, because it was resolved when Emma um, accepted who she was. True. And that mm-hmm. I'm like you, you twisted. Lady, I'm. I have to be careful with my words here. Um, <laughs> but I just she think is. It, it, I think she's tunnel vision, though. I mean, she's, she's oh, totally dead set on this. I mean, I she obviously, you know, she watched her sister die, and I mean, really, she had to be. I didn't think about this, but she kind of, to an extreme level, was probably feeling what Emma felt. You know, Emma hurt Henry and Ingrid oops, froze her sister and killed her right there. And then instead of being able to deal with it, she went directly into the urn. So this is what drove her crazy. This is what made her insane. And all she's wanted this whole time she's been in that urn going nuts is that family, those to get back her sister. And obviously, you know, she can't have her sister who's dead back, but she's 
just over and over for 20 years or whatever. She's thinking, you know, I, I did this. I hurt her. I killed her. I have to, I have to make it right. Well, the only way like in her head to make it right is to have a new family and protect them from anyone who, and, and it's totally twisted, but in her head, you know, anybody who's ordinary might hurt them. So she's, I mean, she's almost thinking, I don't know, it, it's like a really twisted, perverse reasoning, but, I mean, she, what she says is true. She wants a family who will love her and that is like her so they can't be hurt. She doesn't want to lose anyone again. Mm-hmm. That's a really so good crazy. point, especially she's the one oh. who did it in the first place. Yeah, I think that's really good. I like that. That's a good thought. I enjoy it. So, yeah, then afterwards, Emma, of course, goes to gold. And it it's one of my – it was really comedic, even though the situation was serious. It's one of my favorite scenes where he walks in the pawn shop and everything is working on its own. Ah, uh, yeah. I like that. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that. I thought that was Thank hilarious. Um, especially when, when he called to her and said, you know, if you're trying to hide from me, Miss Swan, you're not doing a very good job. And she's just like, I'm not trying to hide from you. I'm trying to hide from everybody else. Um, and comes out, and she's clearly, I mean, she is, I mean, Emma is clearly losing it. Mentally, she is losing it. Um, not even just with her powers, losing control of them, but she's like, she's, homegirl was losing it. She really was. Like, she was starting to, I mean, you could see where she was starting to become like the Snow Queen. Mm-hmm. Because she was, she was starting to go a little crazy. And I mean, understandably so. I mean, if you know you've got this magic and you know how to con- you don't know how to control it, and you know all this, you know you just hurt your son, and your parents are mad at you for whatever's happened. Like that's crazy stuff. Um, and then you know, so she meets with Gold, and obviously Gold says that he has a solution. And as soon as he said that he had a solution, and he needed she needed to meet him at the abandoned manor out on the edge of town, I actually I was like, oh, Rumple, you bastard. Like you, yeah. you, such a bastard right now. I don't even know what to say to you. Like, I thought for sure though. I thought it was gonna be a twist, and that he actually was going to do try and do something to help Emma. I didn't think until the very end when you know the episode played out. Like you know, I thought for sure that that's just what they were making us think, and that he was going to be helping her. That I was like, what? You really are being a raggedy bastard. <laughs> For me, honestly, that oh you you bastard moment came when he crumpled up the parchment and threw it. Because I honestly was I was I I admit I I bought his line a bit. I was like oh yeah you know maybe this magic isn't you know 100 percent safe and he has some ulterior motive. But as soon as he crumpled up that paper and tossed it away. I wasn't thinking so much, oh, he has an ulterior motive. I was like, oh, he definitely is out to get Emma. Like, there wasn't so, maybe I'll help her and there's something in it for me. It was, no, it's completely all about me now. So I'm going to, you know, whatever her issues are, I'm going to crumple them up and throw them away as well. Yeah, um, bastard is one of the nicer words that I was using um, (laughs) when I was watching this episode. Um, but yeah, I was really just not, and honestly, even though I wasn't happy with him in that moment and I wasn't happy with him for the rest of the episode, pretty much there is, I, I just have to say, I like the fact that he's back to being 
this evil, dastardly man that we mm-hmm. have all grown up I know that all the Rumbellers out there or fans of Bell are not going to be happy with what I'm about to say. And to that, I am sorry, but this is my opinion. I feel that ever since he got with Bell, he has become much more of a good guy than what I personally care for. Um, I I like him evil. I do. I don't like him when he's being evil and he's attacking my swan protest. But <laughs> I like I like him at, when he's evil. He's a villain. He's a villain. And he he just needs to stay that way, in my opinion. I like the fact that ever since, I mean, I appreciate the fact that he deserves a happy ending. He deserves a chance at true love. He deserves happiness. He deserves to be free of the dagger. He deserves what everybody else gets. I get that. (laughs) He's all rumpled skin. Right. He's He's the reason all of this is happening. Like, he's not a nice guy. So... I like the fact that he's getting more back to his evil roots because I've I've missed this guy. Like I've missed mm-hmm. this evil and honestly, like I was thinking about it too. As Mr. Gold and even as Rumpelstiltskin, he has not really done anything this bad in the entire show. Mm-hmm. He hasn't done anything that was so mm-hmm. self serving, so evil so, uh, so uh, yeah, I mean, he really hasn't the entire yeah. time. Because so, this is more for a specifically selfish purpose. This isn't like he's doing whatever he can to get back to his son. You know, there was that exactly. motivation for everything in the past. Exactly. He is doing it for his own selfish desires, for his own, you know, need to hold on to power. It has nothing to do with serving a greater good. Nothing. Mm. Like you said, Amy, it has nothing to do with finding his son either. It has nothing to do with Neil. It has nothing to do with trying to stop Pan. It has nothing to do with trying to save Henry. He's doing it because he's just being an ass and wanting to do it. Uh (laughs) Well, I would say I think it's very interesting because you're right, Amy. You brought up a good point is that he's not trying to find Neil. He's not trying to the ends aren't going to justify the means with this one because especially since the people that he's screwing over and not the town in general but the specific core group i mean mm-hmm. Hulk even said it at the end he's like it's your grandson uh what are the grandson's mother or or you know your son's what do you think yeah your grandson's mother or something i don't remember what specifically he said but basically he's like this is your blood and you're still willing to, you know, do this this most horrible thing to get what you want. And mm. I think that's what's different is because, yes, everyone sought out Rumple to get deals, so he kind of knew everybody, but these are people mm. that he knows. Like, these are... This is his family. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I loved Rumple the very, very most at the very beginning of season one when he was empty and making deals and up to no good. I absolutely adored him. And I do love Beauty and the Beast. Like, I'm not at all against Beauty and the Beast. In fact, the dance that they threw in this season mm-hmm. I thought was oh. fantastic. Like, I was all teary eyed and oh, beautiful. But I will say, I 
definitely prefer Impy, up to no good Rumple, to domesticated Mr. Gold. I like him when he's up to no good, and I feel like, I don't know, I just, I feel like when Belle fell in love with him in Skin Deep, he was still Rumple Silk Skin. Like, she fell mm. in love with the Beast, not with the domesticated, you know, homebody Mr. Gold. She fell in love with the Beast. So her expecting him to change and to become something different, I don't find realistic or that she should have an issue with. I mean, she knew this is who he is. He's the Beast. That's that's what he is. He's Rumpelstiltskin. So I think I would bet she hardly saw. I mean, I don't think she ever saw him do anything as horrible as what he's doing now, though. I I, I do enjoy I do enjoy Belle and Rumple together. Um, I I I don't know how to, I don't know how to talk about it though because I, as much as I do enjoy, I love them as a couple. I do enjoy them together, and I like the fact that they're. You know, they are each other's happy ending. But I I mean, like, okay, I kind of liked Lacey a bit better when, in that sense, you know what I mean, when she was kind of Belle's bad side. And actually, it kind of makes me wonder if we're going to see Lacey again with this uh, mirror business happening. Um, that's, a, that's a talk for another day, but because um, that would be awesome. But I liked it more when Rumple was indulging in those impish, uh, desires and Lacey was kind of like, all right, cool, bad right, yeah, boy, I can dig okay. it, you know. I'll tell you Let's what. Let's go knock off a two liquor store. I'll tell you what. And here's the moment that I'm waiting for now. Now that he has done everything that he's done, and he's really turning more evil. Man, I can't wait until his wife finds out. Yeah, I know. Oh, yes. I can't That's wait to what he's been up to. I want her to just I want I honestly wonder here's what I'm wondering. I'm wondering if this is going to be the course of action, if this is going to be really the thing that makes her lose faith in him. Mm. <laughs> like if she finally is like, you know what? I'm like you like kind of like to almost like Padme and Anakin. You're going down a path I can't follow. Oh yeah. Oh, I like that. I really do. Um, we kind of got off topic of Emma a little bit and the hat, but that's okay because I want to keep this discussion going with Rumple and Bell because it, it brings Hook into it. And Maury, our our friend Maury on staff, has a theory that I kind of want to put forward a little bit. So at the end of the episode, obviously Rumple has Hook tied up. Um, fenced up. I don't know exactly what he used to tie up the poor pirate, but I think it was a hose. A hose. Okay, so he's got so he's got him hosed, and uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so he's got him hosed, and he's you know he he reveals as we kind of predicted, even though it, it's phrased differently. What the Snow Queen told him last week was that he needs the heart of somebody who knew him before the dagger in order to escape the power of the dagger. Well, it also so happens that the person whose heart he needs is the person that he hates the most. So it's kind of, you know, it's kind of a one-two thing. It's kind of both. Um, But he did end up needing Hook's heart, which we knew. Um, 
we, yeah, we, we knew that that was going to be the case, that it was going to end up being Hook's heart. I'm not surprised in the slightest that that is what ended up happening. Um, mm-hmm. I am surprised that he's going to turn Hook into his little errand boy for a while, though, and have him running around, you know, doing some, you know, dirty deeds done dirt cheap. So um, that I'm kind of surprised at that. But the theory, you know, because obviously, you know, the – it kind of feels like at this point in order to really up the stakes and it, this feels like the natural course of the storyline, mind you, it seems like somebody is going to have to die soon who is not a villain. I hate Um And, and, you know, a lot of people are predicting, Hey, it'll be hook, but that would be so tragic if Emma loses yet another man that she loves to yes. death because she lost Graham. She lost Neil. She lost, um, Monkey Boy. August. August. She mm-hmm. lost. Um, Gra- uh, what, what was his name? Walsh. 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 Yeah, Thank Monkey you. Pen. She lost. <laughs> she lost. You know. She you know. She lost the the flying Walshy. Um, you know. She's mm-hmm. lost all these people that she loves. So if she were to lose Hook too, that might just be the thing that sends her over the edge because so far her track record really sucks with men. Um, right. Which is unfortunate. And, you know, so a lot of people are saying, oh, well, if Hook were to die, you know, that would be, you know, that they just, they wouldn't do that to Emma. And, you know, there's a lot of valid point in that. But Maury's theory, and people, I think, in the chat room are going to lose their minds over this. Maury's theory, or idea, rather, is that maybe at some point Hook will get a hold of Belle's heart and switch it with his own. And when Rumple destroys it or does whatever he has to do to break free of the dagger, he's going to end up killing her. Mm-hmm. I would die because that would be so tragic, but so interesting as well because it would kind of parallel what Rumple did with the dagger. You know, kind of come back and bite him in the rear. Yes. Yeah. He destroyed something thinking he was going to get this power, but there was no you know, oops caveat with it, but yeah, I, I I kind of think Maury might be onto something. It would be so tragic and really, really sad, but that would be a huge twist. I don't know how he would get the heart, but if Belle finds out what's going on and then doesn't tell Rumple that she knows, if she doesn't go absolutely bonkers ape on him and just trades out her heart willingly with hooks, and then, oops, he killed her. Oh, my God. People will lose their minds. I would lose their minds. would be so interesting. I don't know how he would get a hold of her heart. I really don't. I don't know what method he could use to do it. It's not, I mean, it's not like he's got an enchanted hook this time like he did before when he tried to take Horace heart mm-hmm. or anything like that. So I don't know how it would happen. But that would be really a game changer. It would be. Now, having said that, um, well, we also have to acknowledge the fact that Belle is a Disney princess. Mm-hmm. The show is oh, is ran by ABC, which is owned by Disney. And I am pretty sure that Disney has their princesses on lock and that Belle is not in any real danger. But um, I, I still think, like, I don't know. I feel like something major needs to. There needs to be something to shake it up. There really does. Right. Like something mm-hmm. big has to happen. Like somebody has to die. Honestly, my if it were me, 
and I know that so many people are going to lose their minds over this too. If it were me, it would be Hook, because I feel that the man serves no purpose. Um, mm, I mean, I think he has a potential to get more interesting now that this, these villains are on the uh, on the horizon. Um, I think being a former villain, and I also think that having the shattered the spell of shattered sight floating around might help, you know, bring up some of that man that he used to be kind of what happened with his hook. Um mm. we know that that's just bubbling under the surface. He's really trying to be a good man for Emma, but old habits die hard, so I wonder if it's one of those things where, you know, join us or die or join us or Swan dies or you know, so he kind of either stays on the cusp or goes with the villains or kind of sets off on his own. And I think that had the, it would have the potential to be to make him more interesting. Um, but yeah. I do see your point that somebody does need to die. I really, I, I don't want I just somebody don't to die. See him I, dying. Yeah. I just don't see him dying because of what exactly what Zach said. I don't see them killing off yet another of Emma's love interests. If Hook ever dies off this show, I think it will be, you know, they break up and then many moons afterwards, maybe they kill him off or maybe he goes off into the sunset. I just don't see them killing him off at this point. Um, and honestly, I I think that they do have, you know, now that he's trying to change, they do have some good chemistry. We're starting to actually see some genuine relationship moments. But I agree that, like, I don't know if any of you guys watched Lost or – there's a lot of shows it seems like I watch where, you know, anybody could die at any moment. Same thing with Game of Thrones. Like, don't get attached to a character because they're going away. And it always shakes things up. And people are always upset, but people always come back and always watch because it's shocking and it's good TV. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I think that uh, I think um, I never watched Lost. I only watched it a little bit. Um and what I did watch, I mean, I watched, like, the first five episodes of the first season, and then as, the, as soon as the smoke monster showed itself, I was like, okay, I'm out. Um, <laughs> you watch Game of Thrones, though, right? I do watch Game of Thrones, and I'm upset. I mean, the ringtone, the main ringtone on my phone is is the Game of Thrones theme song. So, um Yeah. So, every, every, so any, anytime either one of you call me, it's it's immediately playing Game of Thrones, and it's funny because I sing it to myself. I'm like, someone's calling me. I hear Game of Thrones. <laughs> so yeah, I'm gonna send you the one I have because it's the Game of Thrones ringtone, but it's just somebody in the background background going, Peter Dinklage, Peter Dinklage, Peter Dinklage. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> one day it was playing, and my phone was going off, and I couldn't figure out what the hell it was. I was all over my house trying to figure it out, and I had left the ringtone on, like, after, like, it was late at night, and I'm like, what is that? Who is watching Game of Thrones? But I finally found it, but yeah, it's pretty fabulous. I'm sorry, I'm dying, because I'm just imagining you, like, around your house with a flashlight, like, looking under couches for Peter Dinklage, Peter Dinklage. I know, right? I'm like, is my house on it? What is happening? It was hilarious. 
I'm asking other people. I'm like, do you hear that? Does no one else hear this? I'm like, oh, my God. Eventually, I found it. I was like, woo. Okay. Not crazy. Maybe that's what the snow queen was listening to inside the urn, and that's why she's crazy, because she just can't find Peter. She can't find her phone, and it's just going on and on and on. That's what's in the urn, ladies and gentlemen. A ringtone on repeat that can never be shut up. That is torture, though. It is. <laughs> okay, so anyways, um, I, yeah, I don't think that Belle's really going to die, um, but I, I think that somebody needs to. I just want to, I, like, I, and we've discussed this kind of privately, so I'll discuss it publicly. This may sound really weird, but I want some carnage. I want mm. death. I want death. I want destruction. I want the clock tower to be destroyed. I want no, you someone don't. to go. Like, you don't. But I want, I just want something <laughs> to happen. Like, I want something to really change it up and show that, you know, that, like, no more Mr. Nice Town. Like, I want, and that's why I'm so hopeful about the fact that Maleficent and Cruella and the villains are kind of going to hopefully have their day. Villains unleashed, yes. if you will. Because I want there to be some, I want there to be consequences. I want there to be some something to happen in the show where the next week it's not just like it was a, a non-event or a non-issue. I want there to be something that happens that has repercussions that last and have a rippling effect for a couple of weeks. That's what I want mm-hmm. to see. Um, I'm, I really want to see something of, I just, yeah, I don't want it to be a thing where, oh, we just, you know, write it off the next week like nothing happened. I mean, obviously things that happen on this show where, you know, there are some long-term consequences, like when Snow killed Cora. I mean, we're still dealing with that two seasons on. She even mentioned that in the episode. So, um, you know, I, I, I feel like, I just feel like something needs to happen um, to shake it up. And, you know, uh, and hopefully that will happen with the villains coming into play. Now, having said that, now that I brought up Snow White, we need to discuss, we need to discuss. We'll save Emma in the hat for later, okay? Because yeah, that's how the episode ended. So we'll we'll just we'll save the happy moments for the end. So, um, Snow and Regina, they're see- first of all, first of, for, and then first of all, um, the first scene that they had when Regina shows up to the house and she wants to see Henry, and Snow White says, "You might want to finish buttoning up your shirt first. Yeah, the barn door is definitely yeah. open. Uh. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I loved it. Mm. I thought, yeah. and what's even, and we'll get to Regina and her bow in just a minute here. Okay, but so first mm-hmm. there was that, there was that whole thing, um, and then later on when they're walking and they're talking and and. And they're talking about Robin Hood, and and Snow is telling her that you know she knows what it's like to be sleeping with a married man, and that you know that she is not that Regina is not totally evil, and that Snow is not totally good. Life is way too complicated. Oh my good lord! Oh, well, the, the, the fact that it's about choices, the fact that they talked about choices, and Snow referenced the spot on her heart. I was just like, I was just sitting there with my hands clasped in front of me, like just smiling because yeah that is one of my favorite interactions between the two of them. Hmm. I've yeah, been waiting you know. for more Regina and Snow. And me too. I love that interaction. And I like that Snow actually, you know, acknowledged that she was this brat when she was a kid and 
uh, I love the whole scene. I thought the interaction between them was fantastic. It was, it was, it was amazing. It was the kind of thing, and we have spoken about this on the podcast before too, um, in last season in the episode, um, uh, bleeding through when ghost Cora, you know, when they open the portal and ghost Cora comes through and then they, they had some bonding moments there. This is the same kind of scene. The, these scenes, what we just saw, these are the scenes that this show is made of. Yes. It's, yes. Um, it, I mean, this is the kind of interaction. This is the kind of character development that I have been waiting for since season one. It's the kind of scene that I've been wanting to see. I, I want more of it. I want them to end up having a friendly relationship. I want there to come. I want there to be a point where Regina accepts the fact that even though she might find Snow White's positivity annoying, I think the path that she's on now with having hope for herself now, she's going mm-hmm. to understand that point of view. Mm-hmm. She's, she's going to get it. She's going to to understand why Snow is the way that she is. And I want them to come to a place where even, like, where Regina understands why Snow White is the way that she is, and she backs her up as her friend and as her stepmother. Yes. That's what I'm loving. Like, every time I see interaction between them, even, you know, not these huge major battle scenes, it's these small, quiet, it, real interactions between them that I love to see. I I love that they're building the friendship, but when I look at them, I mean, you almost feel sad because you're like, wow, think about how it could have been, you know, if she had been a stepmom to her and, oops, sorry, I killed your your dad there early. But, I mean, they're moving past all of that, and I love it. I love that relationship between them. And here's the thing that I find interesting is that they – Regina obviously talks a lot about getting her happy ending, and then we found out that um, there could have been a way for her to have gotten it. I wonder, though, if Regina were to do something to trade for her happy ending, and I don't want to get into time traveling things. I don't think it's going to be a time traveling thing. But I just was thinking about that when you mentioned it, that, oh, yeah, you know, she could have been a real stepmother to her. Well, I wonder also what would happen if she was like, you know, Henry obviously wouldn't have been born. Um, A lot of things wouldn't happen. So Mm. it's just, it's very interesting to think about that as much as Regina wants a happy ending again, at what cost? Because Rumpel clearly doesn't care about the cost of his happy ending and it may destroy things. Um, and I like the fact that Regina now is much more careful, and she's been researching, she's been investigating, she's not just blindly going forward with uh, anything. Yeah, I love Regina. Yeah, I really there. There's, as Jordan Wright is saying in the chat room, um, I, she said, "I love when we explore paths. There's so much we don't know that is very true." Because, you know, there are a lot of scenes that they could add in with and have Bailey Madison come back as a younger Snow White, even though she's older than she was when she was first on the show. They can still show that. They can still show that. They can still show teenage Snow White um, being a total brat. I mean, there are so many things that they could still do just, you know, with their relationship. They could even still show scenes um, 
where they use Ginny Goodwin as a more adult Snow White and show, you know, like what happened in between. Because, you know, here's something we've never really seen. We've never really seen any flashback scenes to their relationship between when Leopold died and when Regina decided to kill her, like when she was forced mm-hmm. out of the house. Like, we have never actually seen the scene. I mean, we saw the scene where, you know, like, remember the scene in uh, in uh, The Heart is the Loneliest is a Lonely Hunter where um, Graham, you know, takes Snow out and then decides that he feels bad for her, you know, and they plan that whole thing. We have never seen their relationship in between Leopold's death and that moment. Never right. happened. And, and we didn't see much of their relationship at all when after the point where Regina married Leopold, like how many years was she in the house? Because at that point when we get to when he's killed, she's already, you know, a young grown woman. So we have several years there where, you know, she was living with Regina as her stepmother from, you know, a young age up until however old she was, when Leopold died and then the subsequent of what happened and her leaving. I would love to see that too, see the interaction between, like, were they cordial to each other? Was she a snotty little brat then? I would be, that That I think, I really hope that they, they give us scenes like that in the future because I do often when I do a rewatch and I watch the episode, um, with Sydney's backstory, the the title of it escapes me at the moment, but how Regina talks about how unhappy she is with the king, and then mm-hmm. and then Leopold talks about how he knows the queen's unhappy. I I do find myself often wondering how much truth is in Regina's words. Mm-hmm. If cause she seems genuinely upset, but then you find out at the end of the episode she's really just playing uh, Sydney to get Leopold out of the way. But in the first part of that episode, I do wonder how truthful she is being. Like, how may, like if this is really, truly, deeply affecting her, or if she's not just putting on a show for uh, for the genie for Sydney. Right. That episode title is "Fruit of the Poisonous Tree." Fruit of the poisonous yeah. tree. Thank you. Hmm. You're welcome. Like, how miserable has she been up to that point? between, you know, marrying him and then finally meeting Sydney and seeing that she had a way out of it, kind of. Like, what finally, you know, was she stewing in evil all that time? Was she just really sad and miserable? I would love to see just Snow and Regina from that time frame. I agree. It would really back up what they were talking about on Sunday a lot, like when Snow said, you knew I was a bratty kid. Okay, well, show that, please. Um, mm-hmm. 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 The, one, the rules of screenwriting is, you know, don't show or don't tell, show. Um, right. Or, well, the show, only time we show. saw her being a brat, she wasn't with Regina. She was with her mother. We know that one scene where Joanna puts on her crown and she gets sort of snooty with her. That's the only scene we have of her being a brat like that. So, obviously, if she's she feels like she was still behaving in that manner when Regina was her stepmother because, like, how else would Regina know she was a bratty kid? So, yeah, that's, that's definitely something I want to see. Adam, Eddie, put it on the list. Pop coffee, dude. <laughs> Heard. Um, so, yeah, so I, I love their development. I loved 
I mean, more than I can put into words, actually, because it's it affects you. It affected me, at least, on so many levels. Their relationship is now so layered and so complicated. This is the kind of relationship that they could have had the whole time. Um, mm. But you know what's, in, what's even more interesting, and this is a good segue, too. If, if Regina had chosen Robin Hood instead of evil... She never would have ended up being Snow White's stepmother for such an extended period of time, if at all. Mm-hmm. Like, so if she had chosen, I mean, and really, isn't that so interesting to think about? If Regina had chosen Robin Hood, none of this would have ever happened. Mm-hmm. None of it. But she was afraid and not sure. Like, she didn't know, could she trust it? She didn't, I don't know, she didn't feel, you know, the fairy comes by, throws you some pixie dust. Uh, you got to trust it. It's hard to tell. <sighs> that is very interesting to think about. But then how would things change, you know, for Robin? Like, would he, was he a thief at that point? Was he robbing the rich to, to feed the poor? Or was he just, like, a, a dude who, I don't know, the, Armor, I, I don't know what Robin even, did. No, he was a noble, wasn't he? Uh, Robin of Loxley. Like everyone in the chat room, like, start yelling at me. Back off what you're saying. It goes even further. Did he know Marion at that point? <laughs> Probably <laughs> not. If he had chosen, if Regina made the right choice, would he have? I mean, would, would Roland be her son? Well, remember what Robin told, and Robin and Will were talking about, Robin wasn't always a good man who robbed from the rich and gave to the poor. It was after he met Marion, and you remember he he told Will he stole her horses and bringing them back because she came after him and said that was all that, uh, you know, that was all the family had, and seeing her bravery inspired him. And from that point on, all he ever did was rob from the rich and give to the poor. Well, if that never happened, and he met Regina when he was still not, you know, 100% on the good side there, what would that relationship have even been like? I mean, could would they have been, like, plotting partners together and <laughs> no good? Or... <sighs> Yeah, it's it's very yeah, it's very different. Um, oh my gosh, there's so many things to that. Um, but now, but that's a segue too, because in this episode, as we kind of suspected, and I even commented on this in last week's podcast, we weren't sure if they were just kissing last week or if something more had happened. And now we know. Apparently, they had. They had some of the best sleep that they've had in a long time. Wink, wink. <laughs> wink, wink. So, um, I, and again, it it draws into what we were talking about last week with infidelity and Robin Hood. Right? So, um, now, now we have the answer. He was actually unfaithful to his wife. Does it make it any better? I mean, is there any kind of a difference here just because it's Regina and we love her? Like, kind of what I was saying last week, is it different because it's Regina and we love her and it's because we know Robin is a good man, but 
you know, his wife is frozen and he and he loves another. You know, does that make it different? Does that make it right? You know, Snow White even touched on that topic, too, and she said that she knows what it's like to be sleeping with a married man. Um, this is a very complicated situation. It very is, and I like that. I feel like it's not a far-fetched situation either, and I really feel like a lot of people are going to view this, and their opinion on this is honestly going to sway by if they have and which position they've been in. I feel like people who maybe have been in that position that Regina's in, you know, being in love with someone you're not supposed to be with might view that relationship differently. People that haven't, would, you know, might, it might view it as, oh, no, that's total infidelity, definitely shouldn't be doing it. You know, and, and people who are just the casual viewer who are just kind of like, oh, yeah, they're cute together, they're probably like, you know, I, just, I feel like people are going to see that from so many, people are going to see it all differently because of, you know, just based on your own personal experiences. <clears throat> well, I definitely have to agree. I mean, personally for me, I know I'm not a casual viewer, but I kind of, hmm, I let the issues like that kind of wash over me. Like I don't get too riled up about them happening on the show because I know they're just telling a story. Um, right. However, I will, I mean, I'll acknowledge, yeah, they were unfaithful and I don't think it was right. But what I think, I don't think that there's any difference between Regina and Robin being unfaithful and Snow and Charmin, Charming uh, you know, committing adultery either. Um, and that being said, I think that both cases, the thing that we liked so much about that in season one is that it really humanized these fairy tale characters. And I think that goes back to what we're seeing in season four. Like we're really seeing, like you said, human choices based on so many different variables and experience. Um, and that's what I think makes it the most interesting. So I'm not going to lie to you with you know, Regina's all, you know, you need to stay away. And, and Robin's like, but I can't stay away. And she's like, no, but really, you need to <laughs> stay away. It's true. <laughs> that got a, little, got a little old for me. So finally something happened, and they made a decision, a definitive mm-hmm. decision that they couldn't walk away from. Right. That's what I like the most, because now they're going to have to live with that decision. It's like and when I tell people that I don't like the, uh, this is a completely weird analogy, I don't care for Star Trek Next Generation. I like Star Trek Deep Space Nine more because on Deep Space oh. Nine they'll have their alien of the week, but they'll oh. be able, they have to stay there and deal with it. They can't just drive away. So that's what I'm kind of, you know, folding uh-huh. back into this. Yeah. yeah. Those scenes were hot, though. I will say that, regardless <laughs> of how you feel about it. <laughs> regardless of how you feel about it. And, yes, I also – I can't believe you don't like Next Generation. I'm, like, falling on the floor here. But regardless – I, 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 I like it. Okay, okay. You and I see you, Zach. I can hear you. It's not that I don't like it. I do enjoy it. Like, disclaimer to the Internet that's going to hear this. Like, I am a trucker. I do like Next Generation. It's that I like Deep Space Nine more. Like, if I had to pick one, if, one, if both of them were on, I'm going to go with – Deep Space Nine over Next Generation because, like I said, I always felt, especially in the earlier seasons, they kind of went messed up this planet's whole way of life because 
either because of the Prime Directive or to save the Prime Directive, and then they flew away, and we never saw, like, we maybe maybe we saw the aliens come back in another episode, but, you know, they mostly just, all right, we're going to completely mess up your way of life and maybe destroy your planet and, like, completely destroy your religion. Um, Bye now, next, you know. So but the, Patrick uh, Stewart! I, I yes, but Patrick Stewart. I Patrick do Patrick Woman, I was at Dragon Con. Like I, I, I was uh, the fact that I was in the same hotel as Patrick Stewart. Like at one point or another, was was blowing my mind. I, this is not a debate of captains because we want to talk about Star Trek captains. I can make a we could do a whole other podcast about oh my, God. You know, my ranking of the captains and why I think Catherine Janeway is complete as a Snow Queen little psychopath. I frequently tell my husband that I would marry Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen, and he's totally okay with that. <laughs> Wait, wait, wait. Did just, you just say Captain Janeway is a psychopath? Dude, <laughs> she is. Oh, we're friends. Okay. Um, we need a strategy. No, no, no. I, ooh, I'm going to call you later to defend this because think about She just makes really poor choices while they're off in the Delta Quadrant. It's just not. The woman is trapped on the other side of the galaxy with the only human beings that she knows. She has to make hard choices. Okay, we can't get into no, that right now. No, it doesn't stop her from following the Prime Directive and being a captain. She has to make hard choices. And you know, it's just like this episode of Once Upon a Time because I'm going to attempt to get this podcast back <laughs> on track. At work, you've got to make hard choices, and you've got to stick with them. And sometimes those choices don't pan out very well, and sometimes mm. they do. I didn't think Catherine Janeway's panned out that well. I don't think the Snow Queen's panned out that well. I think they both make – I can't believe I'm comparing the two. I just I, I think they don't think before they act. Hmm. So. Indeed. We need to get to our reflection segment, so we have. To, I have to take the reins back here, but we do need to. We need to. We need to talk. So, um, <laughs> not like I didn't so, like. But, I like Janeway, but whatever. Okay. So, um. Anyways, so um, we got to get to Emma and Elsa because Emma and Elsa's whole thing is the point of our reflections um, segment this this week. So Emma basically she goes to she goes to um. What is his name? Rumpel Silsky, Mr. Gold. Thank you. So she goes to – I'm thinking about so she did not go to Captain Picard. Um, so she goes to Rumpel and Gold, and she, he's going to remove the magic. So she decides that she's going to get in her little yellow bug, and she's going to go to the edge of town to the Embanded Manor, and she's going to meet up with him. Okay. So then they go in, and they um, they go into – the uh, end of the manor, and he they have an interesting conversation where he says that he would never go in there, but that he can't really believe that Emma is about to because she always does the right thing. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting again because he is not lying to her the same way the Snow Queen wasn't lying mm-hmm. to her, but still he's pushing it, you know, saying what needs to be said to get her to do what he wants her to do. So selective truth is what it is. Yes. It is some selective truth. Um, But what's interesting, though, is that Jennifer Morrison had kind of hinted about this scene in an interview that she gave last week where she said that um, 
you know, Gold basically tells her that sh- that he looks at her as a hero and sees himself as a villain. And that's that's exactly that's exactly what we saw. Um, that, uh, and honestly, I'm really I thought it was really interesting that even though he was playing her in this way, and even though he was about to do what he was trying to do, um, he was. This was the honest. This was the first point where I feel like he was ever completely honest with her in a way that I mean, even though he w- even though he knew that she was doing, she would do the right thing and that she had always done the right thing. And even though he wanted her to go into the hat, part of me feels like he was almost expecting her not to. And that by being honest with her in that way, that he would kind of stop her from doing it or dissuade her from doing it or make her think twice about her actions. Because even though he was, Oh wow, I didn't even really think about this until just now when I'm talking it out. It makes me wonder if he was really you know, I think he believes in her. I do. Now that now that mm. we're now that we're into this, I think that he really does believe in her and that he did not want her to go into that hat genuinely. I think for his own purposes, does he want her to be gone so that she can't stop him? Maybe so. But I think there's still that 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 flame, you know that uh, that brief flicker of light in the darkness is still there, because I, think I don't. You're know, right. I don't think he genuinely wanted her to go in there because otherwise he would have just said something to be like, you know, yeah, your your powers are out of control. You need to go. In, you know, you need to get rid of them. You need to do whatever. But in fact, he said the opposite. He was he told honest her the with truth. Her. He, yeah. he told her the truth. In doing so, even though it was her decision, and even though she was going to go into that room, he told her the truth about how he sees her. And in that moment, I think it showed that he's he's not as bad as this episode was making him out to be. And mm-hmm. that, oh wow, I didn't even realize that until now. We're just not having this conversation. Um, you know, I know when he I'm stunned. Yeah, like, well, when he exhaled at first, I wasn't sure watching it if he was relieved or annoyed until he started talking to Hook, if, you know, that she didn't go into the hat. Hmm. There's, hmm, hmm. That, see, hmm. This is why I love this show. Because they, oh, it just adds a whole nother, oh my gosh. I hate the fact that I'm having this thought now that we're talking about it because I, I don't even know what to think. Um, he's he's so, he's still on the side of good even now, even though he's serving his own, but here, well, I, I can't he's even speak coherently. It's what it is. He's desperate, he's desperate just like yeah. Emma was. But here's, here's the thing though, right? Here's the thing. And this is what's even more tragic for Belle. He was honest with Emma for the first time really ever and stopped her from doing something wrong, or tried to at least, to stop her from doing something wrong is how I I like to interpret this now. But he's still lying to his wife. 
there is something really, really sad about the fact that he told Emma the truth about how he views her, and and he told her the truth about how he views Belle. Mm. But isn't being honest with Belle. Have you noticed, too, like, he seems off lately. Like, I don't know if it's that he doesn't care or that he's so bent on, you know, getting out from under the hold of this dagger. Someone, was it Gareth from our site that mentioned that they thought that maybe he already had the the shattered site, but... I don't. I mean, I don't. We don't. We've been discussing it on the or the private page, but I don't. I don't know if that's even possible yet. But maybe he's just so bent on it. I, I feel like there were a lot being... of choices being made in this episode, and I liked it because they were like legitimate choices with, like both of you mentioned before, with legitimate consequences that we're going to see. It's not going to just go away. Well, I think that he might have a bit of tunnel vision, but that's because he's choosing to be so singularly focused on the idea of this. And it's not even really a guaranteed happy ending. It's a perceived happy ending because if he goes through with everything, he won't have any family. Um, I'm assuming he's going to pin the rap on, or he's planning to pin the rap on the Snow Queen. So, I mean, he will have Belle and he'll have his power, but be free of the dagger. But then what next? He's never... The only time he was ever really outside of Storybrooke was when they flew to uh, uh, Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And he almost, like, murdered some guy with his cane in the airport. I mean, Grant, I have thought about murdering people with my luggage in the airport, too. <laughs> but with with all the power Rumpelstiltskin has, there's going to be, like, rodents and frogs and snails running around getting squished by this guy as soon as, like, the first guy who works behind the counter of a Burger King picks him off. So this uh-huh. happy ending, you know, he's choosing to invest so much in so dangerously may not be the right choice for him because I mean it's not a guarantee Mm. I don't think anything Mm. ever turns out exactly the way that they think it's going to play out in this show and I think it's interesting because then they have you know it kind of leads into new choices and new things but yeah I don't just like the whole getting the dagger you know, from Zasso, it that didn't quite work out the way he thought it was going to. So true. So yeah. So what ended up happening with Emma though was that she went, and after that conversation, Elsa showed up, and and this is why I I love the fact that they brought Frozen in because Frozen has everything to do with the show going on, and if you don't see that by now, I don't know how you can't. But Elsa played Anna in this situation and Emma was Elsa and she stuck with her no matter what and she stuck out her hand and said, Take my hand, it'll all be okay. You have to you have to love yourself, the good parts and the bad. Mm-hmm. And having that hand of friendship extended out to Emma and also to Emma Elsa was Ingrid in this situation, only instead of Gerda pulling yeah. away and Earn, Emma took her hand and broke whatever was, you know, whatever magicness was going on with Emma right We're at that moment. Where her because that act of true love, right? Friendship mm-hmm. love, but still, the act of true love thawed a frozen heart, so to speak, and it broke what was going on with Emma. True love mm-hmm. won out. 
true friendship love in this case. It won out. I love the parallel with Ingrid because I feel like, you know, we were saying what would have happened with Ingrid had Anna and Elsa's mother just taken her hands and not freaked out and been afraid and, oops, sucked her into the the crazy urn. Well, not only that, but also the fact that Elsa's character is based on the Snow Queen in the fairy tale. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we have the Snow Queen and the Snow Queen, basically. Like, does that make sense? So the two of them, they were in the same position, but reversed and, oh, so good. Because because in, in Ingrid's situation, her powers were out of control and she was looking for her sister to extend a hand and help her out. In the other situation, Elsa, her powers were under control, and she was extending a hand out to somebody who needed her help and need and needed some love and affection, and some trust. And yeah. Faith. And they're supposed to, and they're the same. They're they're the same character, yet they're not. Mm-hmm. Um. I I thought that was genius, and that actually leads us to our reflection segment, which we're probably going to end the show with because we've only got about ten minutes left of the podcast. Um accepting the good and bad parts of yourself and mirrors and because you know Emma Emma is not only a reflection of Elsa Elsa is not only a reflection of Ingrid but different I've always said that Emma and Regina are mirror Regina that is are mirrors for each other um because they are um mm-hmm. you know so and you know just like we are both um with David and the whole curse itself you know, the fact that they were these good, righteous, valiant characters in the Enchanted Forest or Misthaven. And now, you know, when they were cursed, they were the weaker parts of themselves. Now with the mirror and the fact that this, the shattered side is coming into play, the mirror is the Snow Queen's whole thing, showing them the worst sides of themselves. Not the weak sides, but the worst sides of themselves. Um, you, know, ex- you know, being able to look at yourself in the mirror and accept the good side and the bad side, you know, it really is a struggle. I mean, it, it's a struggle for most people because we all have light and dark inside of us. Mm-hmm. And it's a matter, and it's a it's a choice. It's true, I believe at least, that it truly is a choice to do the right thing, to be the better person. The show exemplifies that. I mean, the show is all about that. It's all about choices and what you choose to do with your life and how you, you know, react to things. We have all been in situations where somebody has wronged us in some way, um, you know, whether it was a, a small slight, such as somebody, you know, cutting us off at a parking lot, you know, a spot in a parking lot, somebody cutting in front of you in line at the grocery store or a theme park, um, you know, down to, you know, the, those are more trivial things compared to, you know, having you know, a friend betray you, a family member betray you, a a spouse or, you know, significant other or whatever betray you, you know, and it's, you know, it's a choice on how you react to that. Um, and if, if what's funny too is that, and also, you know, and with betrayal and infidelity and everything else, that ties into Regina and Robin and Marion and, you know, all that good stuff. You know, he's, you know, it, it's all kind of, I see it all as being kind of interconnected and mm-hmm. it's funny, a friend of mine posted on Facebook just a little bit ago, and let me, let me find this here. It says, um, 
Good Lord. There we go. Nature wants us to react, to return blow for blow, cheating for cheating, lie for lie, to hit back with all our might. Then it requires a super divine power not to hit back, but to keep control, to be unattached. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, I feel that that is pretty valid for what's going on with the show and making a choice to be the better person and to not, you know, return blow for blow, cheating for cheating, lie for lie, mm-hmm. hit back with all. That's kind of what the show is exemplifying, especially in, in, uh, um, in Emma, you know, making a choice to be a better person always. Uh, mm-hmm. Regina now makes better, uh, the, you know, the choice to be a better person. Um, you know, it's it's not an easy thing to accept the good and bad parts of yourself. I mean, Regina especially is showing that because she has had, I mean, really only this season when I feel like when Sydney was showing her the moment when she first met Marion mm-hmm. and having to, you know, she had to l- literally look at herself in the mirror and see the bad parts of herself and then move on and be a good, you know, a better person. Mm-hmm. It really, I mean, it all is playing into each other now, don't you think? Like, I do, and oh. I think that they're also showing that generally, not just on the show, but the right choice is usually the harder choice. I think a lot of times yeah. it's easier to make the, you know, the fast choice, the easy way to do something wrong instead of something right. And I, but and I, you know, sometimes. I think everybody struggles with that, not just on the show. I'm all, but I I don't know about you guys. I'm a huge believer in karma. I think a lot of what you put out to, you know, comes back around. That's so yeah. that's something that I think about, but I do I think it's true and there I I like that they're actually showing that on the show that it's not, you know, always easy to do the right thing all the time. I don't think for anybody it is. And I think that it has always been one of the things, and I know you, Zach, too, and I, I think Ashley probably mentioned it too, but we've always talked about the fact that we like that these characters, none of them are all good. None of them are all bad. There's all these shades of gray going on. There's, you know, nobody, you know, especially in our core group has been just, pure evil or purely white and good. Even Snow White, who is, you know, Disney princess extraordinaire. I mean, we've, we know things, you know, her choices haven't always been great or the right thing in the show. So I love that both the heroes and the villains are, you know, have both sides of themselves that they have to accept and try and make these choices. I think it's very interesting, Amy, that you brought up the idea of karma when Snow and uh, Regina were talking on the road, <laughs> and Snow. I was going to say it, but you were gone. <laughs> I win. I win. Um, when she said on the road, though, she's like, and she didn't really. I don't. Did she call it karma? Did she call it by name, or did she just allude to it by saying the universe will do good things for you if you put good into the universe? Which sounds so cheesy when I say it, but I mean there is there is a method to Snow's madness because even though she did the right or good decisions, like um way back in season one when she 
wanted to save Charming, so she had to give him up. Granted, that wasn't the best decision or choice, but at the time it was the right one. And I think the universe had a way of turning it back around for her and having Charming always find her. So of all, you know, the things that are the crux of this show are uh, hope, you know, put a quarter in that hope jar commission thing, Um, family, and now I think choices. I think the ability to have a choice and the fact that that's going to be displayed with Hook being Rumpel's puppet, because he's not going to have any choices. And that's what I think made it, makes um, the whole heart-snatching thing so so, so sinister mm. is because you really you remove that person's ability to have a choice. And right. so you cause them to do things that will haunt them later, like with Aurora, how she felt so torn up because she betrayed the group in season two. And that was something that it took for, you know, it, it took a minute or two for her to, because we didn't, she didn't really see her that much on screen, but it took her a minute to really kind of come to terms with that. And I think the biggest choice, the the thing that uh, has been mulled over for so long is Charming and uh, Snow's choice of putting Emma in the wardrobe, because really, they technically never had had to they could have tried you know they could have lived their um their lives under the curse and seen their broader broader their broader their daughter grown up but they made the most difficult choice of their lives and put emma in the wardrobe which kicked off all the rest of this yeah yeah it does come down to choice um Wow. And, you know, the other thing, too, is that, uh, and one thing that we haven't talked about, and this has to do with it, too, is that extra page that appeared in Robin Hood's pocket. We've only got about mm, two minutes left to talk about this, so let's make it quick. But um, basically, you know, it's showing that, you know, history can be rewritten. I mean, it's basically, it's, it's giving Regina hope. It's giving her proof. It's a manifestation of the fact that if you do good, then good will be done to you. Yeah. It's a manifestation of what, I mean, that's what it is. It's a, it's a manifestation of what she was saying, that if you believe in hope and faith that something can work out, then it will. And that's her. We have a minute and a half left, of course. Regina owes Snow White a quarter. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, um, I I just love, I loved this episode. It was really deep in a lot of ways. I can't believe that we didn't even get to talk about everything in the last two hours. I mean, even, you know, Star Trek discussion aside, I can't believe that we still didn't talk about everything in the last two hours. Um, so, yeah, the, we're, we're going to have a lot more to discuss on this. And, unfortunately, it's going to have to wait until, it's going to have to wait until December 2nd, because we will not be back next week, just to remind you all. No Once Upon a Time on Sunday. Also, really quickly, for all of you who are listening and all of you who are there, happy Enchanticon anniversary. It was a year ago that we all met and got together. So happy anniversary to all of us Enchanticoners and even people who weren't. Uh, If there ever is another one or if there's, you know, a semblance of another one, please go because it, it was one of the best 
it was I mean, I've been to San Diego Comic Con twice. I've met the cast twice. In Chanticon that weekend with the Once Upon a Fan staff was the best week of my life. So oh. um it was just amazing. We have fifteen seconds left, so we have to wrap it up. Ten seconds. Thank you, Shirley. So um we will see everybody <laughs> second at our normal time, five thirty um Pacific, eight thirty Eastern. That's it for us. Good night. Good night. Good night.